Good evening. It's good to see everyone out this evening for another period of worship. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. A verse that most any kid here could quote, the way that God chose to begin his revelation to mankind. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The first two chapters of the book of Genesis is where we're going to spend all of our time this evening, right up until the very, very end, but we'll get to that here in a few minutes. Genesis 1 and 2 tell the beautiful story of God creating everything, creating the earth that we see around us, creating man himself. What's fascinating to me about the first two chapters of Genesis is while they only take up about a page and a half in our Bibles, they tell us so much about God, about His creation, His design, His intent. They teach us so much about who we are to be and the truths of God that He wants us to know. When you think about Genesis 1 and 2, that predates sin. Genesis 1 and 2 predates the people of Israel. It predates the promises that God made to Abraham. It predates the prophets and the law. It it predates Jesus. It predates the church. It predates America. It predates liberal and conservative. It predates restoration. All of these things that have made up the history of the world, and in particular, the religious history of the world, Genesis 1 and 2 predates it all. And it shows us God's ideal. We've probably all played this game where in our mind we create the perfect fill-in-the-blank. In In our mind we create the perfect vacation. Or, Or in our mind we design the perfect house. In our mind we create the perfect job that we want to work at. Well, God played that game too. Only for God, it's not a game. He did it. Genesis 1 and 2 tell us the story of God creating his ideal. God creating all that is good just the way that he wanted it. That sounds like something I need to be intimately familiar with. Because when I look around the world today, I see a broken world. I see a world that has, in large part, turned its back on its creator. But not in Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 1 and 2, it is a world the way that God intended for it to be. And so this evening, I want us to look back to Genesis 1 and 2. And we're going to look at seven truths that we can find in Genesis 1 and 2 together. These aren't going to be overly complicated. 
But as we talk about them, I want us to consider just how important it is to remember what God intended for these things to be and the lessons that he wants us to learn from his ideals being spoken into existence in these first two chapters of Genesis. And the first one comes right there in the first two verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. In the original Hebrew language, the words that we have translated here as without form and void literally mean wild and waste. The picture that God is trying to create in our minds as we read the very, very beginning of all things is that it was chaos. It was wild and waste. And what does God begin to do with that which is wild and waste? He starts to give it order. And he begins to give it structure. And he takes that chaos and he gives it meaning. I want us to remember that that's what God does. It wasn't just in Genesis 1 and 2 that God does that. That's what God does. And so if you feel at times as if your life is wild and waste, guess who can give it order? Guess who can give it meaning? Guess who can give it structure? God can. He proved that to us in the very first words that he uttered to us. If your marriage or your home is chaotic, God can give it structure. If you feel as if you are purposeless in this world, God can give it purpose. That is a truth that we must remember because it gives us it gives us comfort in knowing that no matter how wild this world may seem no matter how up and down my life may become no matter what levels of grief I may experience or heights of joy I may experience God is the one who can steady the ship and give me purpose he did it in his creation, and he can do it for each of us today. And as he began to create and give order and give purpose, it is so telling that each time as we begin to see God create more and more of this world, what are the words that are spoken as he looks down and he sees what he has created? It is good. Everything that God creates is good. Verse 3, verse 10, verse 12, verse 18, verse 21, verse 25, all tell us that as God creates, he looks down and it is good. 
And then verse number 31, Then God saw everything that He had made, and indeed, it was very good. God creates good things. Sometimes we may not feel it. We, we may not feel as if we are good. We may not feel as if this world is good. But God creates good things. Don't ever forget that. Now, you only have to go to chapter 3 to see how man begins to take what God has made good and turn it into something that is evil. But never forget the fact that what God creates is good. What God creates is to be enjoyed. What God creates is to be admired. What God creates is to be appreciated. We go to the New Testament and we see Jesus' teachings. Luke chapter 15, for instance, is a chapter full of parables that Jesus tells us, all of which illustrate the value that God sees in each individual person. Why does God see value in each individual person? Because God created each individual person. And what God creates is good. And he sees value in you. No matter how far we may stray, God still sees value in us. And he wants us to be reminded of the fact that he made us good. He made us like him and this world around us is good the light the darkness the nature we see around us animals man and woman the emotions that we feel the love that we share the families that we have god made those things and he made them to be good that changes our perspective when we remember that It brings us back to a place of awe and appreciation for all that God has put in this world and the way in which he designed it. And along those lines, we are called as God's creation to admire the things that he created. You you can't miss, as you read through the first two chapters of Genesis and the detail that's given about what God created and how he chose to go about creating those things, to recognize that God appreciates things of beauty. The vibrant colors that we see in nature that man can never truly replicate. God created those things. The mountains that we see and the rivers that we see and the oceans that we see, God created those things, and that beauty and the creativity that he put on display when he did so is to be admired. He appreciates beauty, and so should we. It saddens me sometimes when I think about all that God has created, and all of its beauty, and all of its magnificence. And what has man created? You see, God's created all of the outside. Man's created the walls that keep us from it. We need to do ourselves a favor 
and enjoy and appreciate what God enjoys and appreciates. It is to be admired. It is to be seen. It is to be appreciated. Our God is creative. and Our God loves beautiful things. So should we. Let's take time to appreciate the things that are around us that God has created and set before us to witness and enjoy. Along those lines, at the end of chapter 1, as God creates man and puts man in the garden, he gives man a responsibility. Look with me, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then in chapter 2, in verse number 15, as the creation story is retold for us, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. God created all of this beauty. God created all of these wonderful things. And who did he put over all of it? Us. Mankind. He gave us dominion over what he created. The remarkable, amazing, good, beautiful, creative creation that God made. He gave us dominion over it. He asked us to tend it and to keep it, to be stewards of it. If God has created something and that something is good and he asks us to care for it, let's not take that responsibility lightly. Let's be good stewards of what we have been entrusted with because God made it good. And the responsibility that he gave man is a big one. To be a good steward of what God has created and what God made good. In chapter 2, at the very beginning of that chapter, as God has finished his creation with his crowning achievement of mankind and have placed them in the garden, and he did all of these wonderful things in six days, look at what is said at the beginning of chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. That that passage has always intrigued me a little bit. I I feel confident in saying that the Almighty Creator wasn't tired, necessarily. 
I don't believe that God gets tired. Well, then why is this depiction of rest given to us? Well, we can see as the Old Testament continues and God gives the law, He preserves that seventh day for a day of rest for His people to remember and commemorate this. And even in the way it's worded here in Genesis chapter 2, it becomes very obvious that the point that is being made is after work is finished, rest is important. He is setting an example for man, an important one, and one that as Americans, we're really, really bad at. Sometimes we can fall into the trap of viewing rest as just being lazy and wasteful. I've got more things that I need to do. I've got the next task that needs to be accomplished. There's always something in front of me to do. And if I stop, and if I rest, I'm going to look lazy, or I'm going to miss so many opportunities to do and accomplish so many things. God is telling us from the very beginning, Rest is important. Not just for the physical recovery that it offers us, but because it's during times of restfulness that we're able to reflect. It's during times of restfulness that we grow. It's during times of rest that we're able to think clearly. It's during those times of rest that we're able to recharge. It's so interesting that God includes this important lesson as he tells us the beginning of all things. I think he included it because he knew the challenge that it would be for us as mankind to remember this. Rest. It's not lazy, it's not wasteful, it's not inefficient. It's God-created, and it's important. When work is done, rest. A famous story was God helps Elijah recover as he's been running from Jezebel, running for his life, literally running for his life. He feels like he's all alone, and he's just at the end of his rope. What does God do? He gives him food, he gives him water, and he gives him rest. And once that is done, then it's time to get back to work. Rest is important. It's appropriate, and it's God-created. Number six. Not only does God create man and woman, but in doing so, he creates the marriage relationship. Look with me at the end of chapter 2. Beginning in verse number 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife and were not ashamed. You know, everything that man has done to the marriage relationship since the time of creation, 
will almost bring tears to your eyes. Divorce, adultery, polygamy, homosexual relationships, sex before marriage, confusion of roles within the marriage relationship. We have taken what God made good and what God intended to change us in a positive way forever. We have turned it into a mockery in so many ways. The marriage union that God designed, that God established, that God created, was intended as everything else that he created to be good, to be holy, to be righteous, and to change the man and the woman in a positive way forever. And not only draw them closer together as one but to draw them closer to God in the process. That's what marriage was designed and created to do. Don't forget, go up just a few verses from where I just read. Why did God do this in the first place? It was because he looked down and he saw man was alone, and he said, that's not good. And so God gave him woman to make the marriage relationship and to make it good. There's going to be times for those of us who are married or for those of us who maybe one day will be married. There are going to be times where your relationship with your husband or wife is rocky. There's going to be times where you argue and disagree about certain things. In those moments, go back and read Genesis chapter 2 and remember God's ideal for marriage. God's ideal for marriage is perfect in every way. God's ideal for marriage brings us closer to one another as spouses and closer to God as one. That's what marriage was designed to do. If we ever have any questions about how God views marriage, we can go right back here and be reminded very quickly and very simply. That God created marriage to be good and to be life-changing. And then lastly, we've talked about this in several different ways thus far. But God created us, and he created us uniquely to have a beautiful, harmonious, and perfect relationship with him. I read from Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 just a moment ago. Let's go back to that briefly. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In chapter 2, in verse number 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And then while I know all of our time thus far has been spent in the first two chapters of Genesis, I think it's very telling that in chapter 3, in verse number 8, we get just a glimpse 
of what life in the garden was like. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Think about that for a second. Here are Adam and Eve, God's creation, living in this perfectly designed and created garden that God made for them to tend and to care for and to live harmoniously with Him. And they hear God walking in the garden. What must that have been like? Well, it's, it's hard for me to even comprehend the environment that God had created for man and woman. All of their needs being met. No worries or concerns over where their food was going to come from or if they were going to have shelter. And their creator walking among them. How amazing that must have been. That's God's ideal for the relationship that he wants us to have with him. That is what God created us to have with him. A perfect relationship. One one that isn't broken and severed by sin. One in which we can live in harmony with our Creator. That's God's ideal for man. And it's a beautiful and comforting picture to know that that is His intent for us. Now, you and I... We live on the other side of Genesis chapter 3. And we live in a world in which sin has taken place. And Adam and Eve had been kicked out of the garden. We live in a broken world, one that has turned its back on God. And the rest of the Bible tells us the story of God's redemptive plan for man to bring us back into this ideal relationship that he created us to have. Isn't that amazing? The first three pages of the Bible tell us about that perfect relationship, tell us how that perfect relationship was ruined, and then the entire rest of the Bible tells us the story of how God plans to bring us back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Now, not physically, we're not going back to the Garden of Eden, but he does intend to bring man back into this type of a relationship. One in which we can live in harmony with our Creator. What's so fascinating is that this is the story we get in the first couple of pages. And now at the very end, I'm going to ask you to turn all the way to the last couple of pages. Turn to Revelation 22. In Revelation 22, as God begins to conclude his revelation to mankind, listen to what he says about what awaits us and see if any of it sounds familiar. Revelation 22 and verse number 1, And he showed me a pure river 
of water, of life, clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. You see what God is doing here? He's giving us a picture of heaven. He's giving us a picture of the home that awaits for us for all of eternity. And what is the the language and the imagery that he uses? It's Garden of Eden imagery. It's the rivers. It's the tree of life. It's light. All of these things that we see In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, about the Garden of Eden, only what's different about what God tells us awaits us in our heavenly home for all of eternity, it's even better. How is that possible? We've spent the last few minutes talking about how everything God created, He did so wonderfully, and He did so to be good. And here we are at the very end of the Bible. And God says, you remember all that? Put that in your mind. Paint that Garden of Eden picture. And the home that I have waiting for you exceeds it. Now that is something to be amazed by. And that is something to find great comfort in. God tells us his story the way that he wants to tell it so that you and I can appreciate his plan, can appreciate his design, and can appreciate his intent for man. And so here we are. In the United States in 2023, long removed from the time of the Garden of Eden. And yet my hope is that we are each reminded of the lessons to be learned from the very beginning And to be reminded that if we have that relationship with God that he created us and intended for us to have, that what waits for us far exceeds anything that Adam and Eve ever experienced on earth. If you're here this evening, and maybe as you're thinking about the relationship that God intends for you to have with him, the relationship that he wants to have with you, and some of the truths that we have discussed this evening, maybe you realize that you're not in that harmonious relationship with God that he wants to have with you. Well, as I mentioned, everything between Revelation 22 and Genesis chapter 2 tells us the story of what God's intent for you is. And tells us the story of how he sent his son to die on the cross and to spill his blood 
to pay the price for your sins so that you could be baptized into his death and once again experience the relationship with God that he created you to have and look forward to the home in heaven that awaits us. If you're here this evening and you realize that you need to make some changes, that you want to have that type of a relationship with God, that you want to have the hope of experiencing what Revelation 22 seeks to depict, well, we want to extend to you the invitation this evening to do just that. If you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins, to become a child of God, we're ready to help you do that. If you've done that in the past, but you recognize a need to come back because of sin and to be restored into that relationship with God, we'd love to help you do that. We'll pray for you, encourage you, walk with you, and help in any way that we can. Please come to the front and let us know how as we stand and sing.